Looks can be deceiving. Nowhere is this more true than the church. On this last Sunday of the church year, this is really the last time until Pentecost next year that we'll be focusing on the life of the church. And, and our lectionary is set up so that every year on this day, we hear these specific lessons and especially the parable of the ten virgins, the ten bridegrooms from Matthew chapter 25. And, and it's about the church. All ten of these bridegrooms, bridegrooms, virgins, are members of the church, or at least they look like it. But five of them don't get in. They don't get into the marriage banquet, a.k.a. heaven. Now, it's not that five were bad and five were good. They all look the same. These are all people, according to the parable, that would consider themselves to be Christians. And outwardly, they look exactly the same. In fact, we might say they all looked bad. They all fell asleep. They all got lazy. They were supposed to be vigilant until the bridegroom came, but they did the exact opposite. And the question really shouldn't be why, why uh, didn't the five get in, but, but how did the other five get in? You know, we tend to think of those people who get into heaven as being, uh, well, well, they're good people. Good people get into heaven. But if this were the case, God's church would not get in. Looks can be deceiving. The church does not look pretty. It's full of sinners. And yet it's about this church, this, this Jerusalem, that God speaks in our Old Testament lesson in Isaiah. <clears throat> Isaiah uses some pictures that are, that are too good to believe. And God talks about the, the new Jerusalem, heaven. But the odd thing about Isaiah's prophecy is that he looks ahead from his own time. He sees the end of the world. And, you know, we often call Isaiah's prophecy, theologians call Isaiah's prophecy a telescopic prophecy. He's looking forward at, at one event in, in fullness, but he sees a bunch of events all along the way as well. And so that means Isaiah sees us right now, here. We are living at the end of the world, the last days. And so some of what Isaiah describes is already. And some of it, <clears throat> excuse me, is not yet. Because Isaiah looks past the end of the world, the last days, to heaven. <clears throat> Most of what our text says applies not only to heaven, but to now. And what that means is that since Jesus first came, we are in heaven already. We are in heaven already. But it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like heaven, right? It doesn't look like it. it. looks like Wisconsin. Now I drill into my confirmation students what hell is. Hell is separation from God eternally. Well, if that's the case, then what's heaven? Heaven is to be where God is. And where is God? God is where He has promised to be, where His people are. 
where His word is preached, where His heavenly gifts are given out, where baptism is done, where holy absolution is given and declared, where His body and blood are received. This is heaven right now. Heaven is the church. And not just here in this church, but, but everywhere God's word is rightly proclaimed. And God says, I will also be glad because of Jerusalem. I will rejoice over my people. This Jerusalem that God rejoices in is the church right now. The church, this same church with the sinners who fail to help each other in need, this, this same church with sinners who leave each other because they even argue internally, this, this same church with, with sinners who get lazy in their watchfulness for Jesus, this same church with sinners with so many different sins and problems, this church, yes, <clears throat> this church. God doesn't rejoice in our sins or our quarrels. He rejoices in our faith. He rejoices over what is credited to us by Jesus. This is the difference between those five foolish virgins and those five wise. The five wise filled up their lanterns, their, their faith, with the oil of Jesus. They didn't trust themselves to get into the banquet. They knew that they needed the light of Jesus. They needed spiritual oil, and they needed a lot of it. And how did they get this oil? They brought extra, but, but where did they get that from? They went to the merchants, to churches. They heard Jesus' word. They received Jesus' holy body and blood. They were forgiven their sins in holy absolution. It's not that they were any better than anyone else in the other five, but that they were wise. They knew they needed what Jesus came to give, trusting that they needed it. Looks can be deceiving. This is where God is. This is heaven. Already, but not in fullness. It looks like some bread and wine sitting on an old altar in a tiny little church in Oregon, Wisconsin. We don't want to believe this. We don't want to believe God comes to us like this. But really, this is the most amazing thing. That the all-powerful God confines himself to such humble means. Theologians call this strange reality already and not yet. We are already feasting and communing with God in the Lord's Supper, participating in the marriage banquet of heaven. Already, but not yet in fullness. In fact, it's for this very reason that God has to tell us this and, and highlight what this is, what this heavenly, uh, what this new Jerusalem is and what our Jerusalem is. <clears throat> if we back up to the very first word of our text from Isaiah, uh, our translation says, watch this. Some translations say, behold. If we had to translate it into an idiom from today, as another pastor recently described it, this is God saying, 
hold my beer. Hold my beer. You don't think I can do this? You don't think I can bring heaven to earth? <clears throat> you don't think I can, I can bring heaven to earth in, in these humble things? You don't think I can, I can make ugly sinners into my beautiful bride? You don't think the end of the world is coming soon? You don't think heaven in fullness will be better than anything you can imagine? Watch this. And then God describes for us what heaven in fullness is going to be like. And again, looks can be deceiving. Or in this case, too good to be true. Too good to even picture. Allow me to, to go through some of these pictures from Isaiah. First, God says he's going to create new heavens and a new earth. That means heaven's a real place. It's not just this spiritual realm where, where spirits go, but an actual physical place. This is the Garden of Eden, remade. He says the former things will not be remembered. You know, modern society likes to give this, this false comfort that's really not very comforting at all, that when people die, they are somewhere uh, in the spiritual realm above, looking down from, from us, on us from above. This is not a biblical idea. When we get to heaven, all of God's people, all who trust in Jesus and cling to him in faith, will be there. And we will not need to remember this world at all. And then God gives us this really beautiful picture of what, of what eternity with him is like. He says, The sound of weeping will not be heard in her again, nor will the sound of crying. There will never again be an infant there who lives for only a few days, or an elderly man who does not fill out all his days. Death is the reality that was never meant for people. In this world, when babies die, it's a major cause of pain and sorrow. Because we naturally understand that life is meant to be longer than that. In the new heaven and new earth, people will live as they were meant to. In the new heaven and new earth, 100 years will seem young. Nothing will make us cry. Nothing will interrupt our joy. God is systematically undoing the fall into sin and the curse that came along with it. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, remember that God said childbearing would now be a source of pain. And he also said that, that work would be a source of toil and, and pain. And he gave farming as an example. And boy, is, is that no more true this year. But in the new heaven and earth, work, labor, and childbearing will be only a blessing. God says they will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build a house and have another person live in it. They will not plant and, and have another person eat the crop. For the days of my people will be like the days of a tree, and my chosen ones will enjoy all the work of their hands. They will not labor only to receive nothing, and they will not give birth to children doomed to disaster, for they will be offspring who are blessed by the Lord, and their descendants will be with them. What all of this is referring to, we can't say with certainty. Jesus says elsewhere that there is no marriage or giving in marriage in heaven, and, and so therefore there would likely be no childbearing. 
So how much of this is an actual description of heaven and how much of this is God trying to, to somehow put into feeble human language the amazing peace and beauty of heaven? I, I don't know. The point is, this is a good place to go. Isaiah gives us one more picture that we, that we kind of need to do a double take on. The wolf and the lamb will graze together. The lion, lions will eat straw like cattle, but the serpent will eat dust. Peace will be so complete. Lions will eat hay like cattle. Wolves will graze next to lambs and not on them. And the serpent will not need to eat anything, not need to destroy or hurt anyone, because they eat dust. And this last thing, this, this last uh, prophecy uh, has one more fulfillment too. Remember the serpent in the Garden of Eden, the devil. This, the last undoing of the curse of sin is the defeat of the devil. And it's already been done. And this is why God's church is already heaven, but not yet fully. The devil has already been defeated when Jesus died on the cross. Of course, looks can be deceiving. Sometimes, most of the time, it looks uh, like the devil uh, has won and is winning. Most, most of the time, this side of eternal life, it doesn't look like Jesus won. But in the new heaven and earth, the serpent will never harm anyone again. And, and all of this, the new heaven and new earth, is for you. God has promised it for you. And of course, God knows that we can take this for granted, and, and so he needs to warn us to keep watch, to be vigilant. The end will come. You will die. There will be a judgment. And you aren't going to get in this new heaven or earth on your own. You need Jesus. And Jesus has promised to be here in his word, in absolution, in his holy supper. You need these things. These things are heaven brought to you. This is Jesus come to you. If you don't think you need them, then God says you're foolish and you have no part in his new heaven. In fact, Jesus says he, he won't know you. But for you who, who know that you need these things, who trust what God gives, even though looks may be deceiving, who walk by faith and not by sight, God wants you to know that soon your faith will be turned into sight. Now you walk by faith and, and you struggle because most of what you see, most of what you see around you is evil. And maybe it seems like God is taking too long to fulfill his promises. But soon, you will see those things which you only now trust by faith. You will see in fullness God speaking to you in person in heaven and not simply through the mouth of your sinful pastor. You will see in fullness the living water in heaven 
and not just Oregon tap water in a font. You will see and taste in fullness the heavenly banquet and not just humble bread and wine. Your faith will be turned into sight. Looks will not be deceiving. Instead, they will be better than what could be imagined. In Jesus' name, amen. No vision ever brought, no ear hath ever caught such great glory. Blessed will we sing victory and gloria eternally. Amen.